Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brooks. Today I'm joined by Francesco Amesbury. How are you doing, Francesco? Buonasera, Sam. I'm okay. I'm okay. Uh, yeah, it's been an interesting couple of days. Excellent. Good to have you on as always. Uh, Michael Jones is with us today. How are you doing, Michael? Yeah, good. Thank you. New signing, I guess it counts on deadline day. First appearance on this. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, good to have you on. And we've got uh, Kaush Dubon. How are you doing, Kaush Yeah, pretty good. Uh, I mean, just a bit tired from the deadline day, but yeah, all good apart from that. Yeah, it's been a very, very busy um, sort of 24, 48 hours. Um, and we're going to we're gonna kick off, of course, with, with the major transfer on deadline day. And that was Cristiano Ronaldo leaving Juventus to rejoin Manchester United. Francesco, I'll come to you first. What, what did you make of how everything panned out over the last few days. It sort of became inevitable the back end of last week. Um, are, are you sad to see him leave Syria? What, what sort of legacy do you think he leaves behind? Um, I I can't say I'm sad to see him leave. Um, I guess it is a bit of a shame that, uh, you know, when, when such a big name player does, does leave the league, but um, I feel like it was time um I'm not sure his heart was in it even last season I think he showed with his actions this summer that that he definitely wanted to leave and um I'm kind of excited to see what you were able to do uh you know now that he's not there I think they've got loads of players who are who are ready to to kind of explode if you like the Kulusevskis and the Dybalas and the, and the Kiersas that they have there so and, and also Keane now um so I'm interested to see what happens um, having said that, you can't really argue with what Ronaldo's done in the league. Um, he scored over 100 goals in three years, which is, you know, amazing, um, I think, by any kind of measure. Um, the, the criticism, I guess, would be the fact that Juve, or certainly everyone says that Juve bought him so that they could win the Champions League. And you, I don't think you can argue with the idea that actually having him has not brought them any closer and if anything is taking them further away so yeah I mean on a personal level he's obviously done very well but in terms of, of do, adding to Juve's legacy as a club I, I'm not sure he really added too much. Yeah I'll, I'll come to you next Michael um there's sort of been a trend this summer in Syria of losing some really big players. Obviously, Ronaldo went, and earlier this summer, we've seen the likes of Lukaku and Hakimi leave Inter. We've seen DePaul leave Udinese. You know, I think those four players are, I think, possibly maybe in the top 10 players in Syria last season. Um, is that a concern for you that all these players are leaving, or, or are you still confident that Syria is going to be a high quality league this season and, and in years to come? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a concern, but I think, I mean, I guess you're throwing Donnarumma as well and you probably got five yeah, of at the top course, 10. Yeah. And um, I, I, I guess what it is losing is some of its star quality and there's obvious spending issues and spending restrictions with Italian teams, especially with all the troubles Inter are going through. I think I saw something today saying that Serie A had a net spend of plus 61 million for the entire league this summer which is pretty telling I think the Premier League was about 10 times at that so there's with the Premier League and PSG and even Atletico Madrid at the moment they just can't simply compete I think that being said that what what you are losing in some of the best players in Serie A you are probably we're probably we've probably gone through a summer where we've gained some of the best managers that the Serie A's had in the past few years. So what happens in that respect could be really exciting and we could see some, it could create the pathway for future stars to be born this season. And I think that's something that's, you know, there's so many reasons to watch Serie A uh, aside from these players. Obviously it's a shame they've gone, but new stars will come along, I'm sure. Yeah, and coming to you next cause, um... With, with these star players leaving from these clubs, does it, if anything, perhaps make Syria even more competitive in that perhaps there's not a clear, um, you know, title favourite this season? I, I think some people think that as many as, you know, four or five teams could win the league this season. Would, would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think so. Um, and 
I know people criticize this stuff a lot that the Premier League clubs have the money they can they can pretty much buy everything as as we've seen they they spend much more much more than any other league in the world and and in Europe but the money that they essentially put into Serie A is going to help Serie A as a whole because that's that's pretty much how a food chain works um where everyone sort of benefits in one way or another because when um I mean, there was a deal in Serie A. I mean, pretty much earlier, uh, which involved Christian Romero uh, going off to Spurs. That deal sort of uh, helped Serie A with a lot of money, and it unlocked a host of deals that just brought about that domino effect in the league. Um, so I think since the money is just flown around Serie A, I mean, of course, not as much as the Premier League, but at least it's just circled around, helped. Um, help in completion of several deals, and I think, as you said, it's pretty right that uh, there's no one clear standout uh, potential winner in there. Um, we can look at Inter uh, as maybe still a favorite, but they're not quite the favorite now because they've lost so many players, uh, Lukaku's, Hakimi's, and content. Uh, it's come to a point where people now see Atlanta as potential title challengers much more than Napoli or Milan. Yeah, I think it, it's going to help um, the competition really, uh, quite a lot. Yeah, we'll come back to how, how the league's looking in a little while. But um, we're going we're gonna to first focus the first half of the show on on a transfer deadline day um, and anything that happened in a couple of days before. Um, I'll come to you, Francesco. Were there any um, transfers that caught your eye? Do, do you think there's any clubs as well that have had a really good last few days in the transfer window? I think I would, the, the most interesting transfers um, in the last kind of week or so, and actually I'd say over the whole market, has been Lazio. For me, over the whole market, I feel like they've had the best market. Um, and this week, whilst they lost Caicedo, which I'm not sure is a, is a good move, and I don't, it's not really a transfer I understand at all. I don't know why he'd want to go and play for Genoa. I don't know why Lazio would want to uh, deprive themselves of a striker who's done so well for them. And, you know... It looks like this season, if Immobile gets injured, they're going to have to rely on Maurici, who really struggled last season. So I'm not sure why they've let Caseda go. But at the same time, they also picked up Takangi from Verona, which I think is um, a perfect signing for Sarri. He's exactly the kind of player that Sarri uh, needs for his kind of football. And that would go with all of that. What I've just said about Zakangi goes for all the other transfers that they've made earlier on. Uh, I think Felipe Anderson is a great signing for them. I think Hisai is a great signing for them. The other thing about Lazio is they managed to keep hold of all their kind of marquee players, uh, Milinkovic Savic, um, Luis Alberto. And I guess they the, the, the most impressive thing about, um, about what they've been able to do is they've gone from a 3-5-2 with Inzaghi They've they've really <clears throat> under um, Sally, they're really going to change the way they play, and they've really kind of <clears throat> made intelligent uh, transfers that suits the way that Sally plays. So I'm really impressed with what they've done, and throughout <clears throat> throughout the whole market, they've caught my eye, but especially this last week. Yeah, they they've definitely uh, seems to seem to have done some really good business. Um, how about you, Michael? We've of course seen Moise Keane coming back to Juventus now. Um, want want to get your thoughts on that and and any other clubs? Milan have been quite busy the last few days as well. So what what do you think to to their business? Yeah, I think this. I think Moise Keane is one of the two real standout exciting transfers apart from Zakanya. That's said by Francesco, I think Lazio have had a good time of it. But I think Zamba Wangisa going to Napoli is a really exciting transfer as well. I'd seen that he'd completed, I think, after a Dharma trial in the Premier League last season, he dribbled past the most players, which for a ball-winning, supposed ball-winning midfielder is quite incredible. And I think he could be really effective under an expansive uh, Spalletti team for Napoli. One other team that um, Francesco mentioned there which I thought were uh, which I think have had a really good deadline day is Genoa who of course signed Caicedo really cheap I think less than two million but they've also signed a few other players they got Maximovic last minute from Napoli on a free they got Faris also from Lazio and they also got Abdullah Torre from Nantes in Ligue 1 which seems a shrewd bit of business also so I know they've started the season with two defeats albeit 
against good teams, but I'm sure they'll be confident that they can get the season up and running, uh, kick-started by these transfers now. Yeah, I think Genoa, Genoa really need that. They've, they've had a poor start, as you say, but um, but they seem to have picked up a little bit. Um, on to you, Kors. Um, any, any transfers that have caught your eye um, over the last couple of days? I think, I don't know if this happened in the last couple of days or the last four or five days, but Lucas Torreira's move to Fiorentina quite stood out to me because he was a player at Arsenal who was pretty much misused by Unai Emery and was hardly used at all by Mikel Ateca. But he's now coming into a team which um, played the sort of, plays the sort of brand of football that um, that Torreira played at Sampdoria when he was there. Um, and we saw the game against Roma where Fiorentina's uh, Eric Polga, who generally is a pretty good uh, midfield player, but he had a pretty poor game in that game. I think Torreira is going to add a lot of what Vincenzo Italiano wants in his team um, in the sense that he wants the team to be technical in their approach, build from the back. And Torreira is someone who's pretty much expert at that art, even though it never really come, came across in the Premier League because the demands of the system were very, very different. But I think he will now set the tone for how Fiorentina play. And we saw how, how well Italiano played last season. They surprised a lot of people, stayed in the division somehow. Um, although it was a no performance, but uh, when teams overperform like they did, it just shows the quality of the manager and of the squad as a whole. So I think it's it's quite a good move uh, for Fiorentina. I'm quite excited by it. Yeah, I remember Lucas Torreira obviously did, did very well at, at Sampdoria. So exciting to see him back in Serie A. Um, on the flip side, Francesco, are there, are there any teams that you think haven't done very well, you know, maybe not strengthened their squad or, or lost some key players and, and you're a bit worried for them this year? I think that um i think it's been a very kind of lots of team have done have done a pretty good business i'd say um the the team that i feel uh the teams that i feel might struggle are verona and spezia they i i think more importantly for them they've, they've lost their managers which is uh which is a big part of their success last season and i feel that those managers probably added quite a few points to their total um and Verona especially have also lost a couple of players. They've just lost Zakang, who's very important for them. I can't really see that they've replaced him with anyone uh, of note. And Spezia, who probably performed well above kind of their, their technical ability last season, uh, they, they have brought in some players, but, but there's no one there that makes me think um, they're going to kick on. So I think both of those teams might uh, struggle uh, compared to, to what we saw them do last year. Yeah, how how about you, Michael? Any any sides you're fearful for? I'm not sure I'd go as far as fearful, but I think they've had a disappointing window, and it's Udinese. Um, what what I would say is that they lost two of the key players in Juan Musso and Rodrigo de Paul, like we were saying earlier. And you throw in, well, you've got those two starters, and I just think that with the goalkeeping position, I don't think they've really replaced Musso adequately. They've got Padelli in, who was second or third choice at Inter Milan, and I don't think will really be an upgrade. And they've got Silvestri from Elas Verona, who, again, I just don't think is an upgrade on Musso. And they've certainly not replaced DePaul, not that a team of Udinese's size can. But I think they haven't really shown many signs of reinvesting that money either. And maybe that's something that they'll do in the next window or two. Obviously, they have a great scouting network uh, which they've proved in the past by bringing in these players especially in South America but you know one of the biggest names they brought in this summer was Isaac Success from Watford of course the Pozzo connection but I do think his success is a rather underwhelming signing given the lack of impact he had during his spell in England and Spain. Yeah, in, interesting, interesting name. Will, will will he be a successor to Danese? We'll have to we'll have to see. Um, getting a few chuckles. Uh, and uh, of course, any any uh, any one for you that that maybe you thought could have done a bit better in this transfer market. Um, I was actually going to say Verona and Udinese, but since those those two have already been spoken out, I'll probably say Venezia. I mean, not just in terms of the expectations that that Udinese and Verona had because they were already in the division. They had to replace players, managers, and 
the whole system. But when Etsy has sort of made those signings, which um, which are probably, um, I mean, a lot of their first team signings uh, make them seem as if they are two or three seasons away from being a Serie A side. A lot of them are potential um, Serie A players uh, because their approach has been pretty sort of a multicultural approach where they got a very good jersey in um, to sell it and become that international brand sort of thing. But then they signed a lot of players from all across the world um, and became this group of international players. But I don't really see them um, staying in the division uh, with what they've done. So I think it's about um, how they've operated in the market in a way to um, potentially stay in the division. But it's been a bit underwhelming in that regard. So I think it's probably one of the for me. Yeah, they've had they've had a tough start as well, Venezia, um, sitting sitting right at the bottom of the table, as we speak. Um, but that that's the transfer market wrapped up, and we're now going to sort of focus on how each side, well, how most sides have started this season. We're just a couple of games gone, of course, and now we're into an international break, and um, we're going to start with Juventus, just because I think this is, you know, a massive shock. I think at the end of last season, when or start of Start of the summer when it was announced Allegri was coming back. It seemed like a safe pair of hands and the order was going to be restored after everything that had gone on with Pirlo last year. Um, but it hasn't worked out at all, has it, Francesco, so far in these first couple of games? Just the draw against Udinese and then a shock defeat against Empoli on the weekend. Um, I think there was a clip of Chiellini saying to Allegri, you know, this isn't a team at the moment, sort of indicating he feels it's a lot of individuals without a collective effort. Um, what do you think is going wrong for Juventus and, and can they turn things around after the international break? I think they can turn things around. Um, I'd still make them at least joint favourites for the title. Um, I think that they've whilst they've lost Ronaldo, they, they gained Keane and they have a squad that player for player is as good as anything else in Serie A, I'd say. Um, last season, their problem was that they didn't get as much as they should have from the squad. And I'm confident that Allegri can get more from it. I think the main issue that they've had so far is just the fact that he hasn't had as much time with all of the players um, that, that are currently in the squad in the sense that Locatelli, who I think is going to become a, a very important player, he's only just joined. Uh, he hasn't played a full 90 yet. Um Losing Ronaldo kind of a week before the market closes, I don't think anyone was expecting that, including Allegri. So that obviously changes your plans. But I am confident that you will vet. I'm not sure if they'll win the title, but I definitely still think they have a chance. And I think once Allegri has had a bit of time with the players, and even you know in the aftermath of, of Ronaldo leaving, I could see a lot of those players growing into their roles more. Like I've already said, I expect Dybala to have a better season this year. Kiers and Kulusevski are, are ready to be to be you know top players in this division. So I really see and and the other thing I like about Juve's team and and Ronaldo leaving has has added to this is the fact that they have quite a good mix of young players and more experienced players right through the side. So I think there's everything in the Juve squad to have a good season. They've obviously had a very disappointing start, but um, I definitely wouldn't count them out of the Scudetto race yet. Yeah, of course, with, with these results, there's always the tendency to focus on all oh, what went wrong for Juventus. But for Empoli, that's that's a historic result for them. That's a huge win away in Turin. Um, without being too reactive, Michael, um, are Empoli maybe the best equipped out of the newly promoted clubs to, to stay up, do you think? Yeah, potentially. I think that they've gone... They're in the middle out of the three in terms of the recruitment this summer. I think Salernitana were really operating on a shoestring budget and then Venezia, not that they've spent loads, but as Carl said, that they've they've really brought in an array of very young talent from all across Europe and further beyond, really. I think Empoli looked quite settled. They looked far more of a settled team than Juventus during that game. And I think that kind of result, yeah, you might not get the one thing that they may have to remember is they may not come against too many more disjointed teams, regardless of Juve's quality. They may not come against too many more disjointed teams this season, but they'll certainly fancy their chances. And obviously with the, with the goal that they got against Juventus uh, from Man Manchuso and 
him playing up front with Catrone. I think that's quite a handy pair at this level. And I think myself being a Wolves fan, I've followed Catrone quite a bit over the last few years. And I think he, with him actually being settled in the starting lineup this season, he could be quite an effective striker for a team like Empoli. And and how about you, Cause? Um, what what did you make of of that um, of that game on Saturday night? It was all just um, a, a real surprise, wasn't it? I, I think everyone expected Juventus to just get off the mark after their slip up the previous week, and and obviously their first game was a bit of a freak result. It seemed with the couple of Chesney errors, but um, it didn't fit into place at all, did it? it, it it seemed at times that it wasn't quite obvious what sort of system Allegri was playing as well. Is is that a bit of a concern that there, there was some muddled thinking there? Yeah, I think a lot of the system changes that Allegri brought about in this game were probably a result of the transfer market speculation because Weston McKenney was expected to lose, uh, to leave the club. Um, and as we were chatting about the Burnley link just before we started that, um, Juventus, there was a point when Juventus literally wanted him gone, but Allegri in his press conference stated that um, he's our player and he's staying and we'll use him from now on. And he essentially used him as that deep runner um, and they went strikerless and he was just that deep runner from midfield trying to get at the end of crosses, uh, the passes uh, towards the inside. Didn't quite really work out, but if, for example, that pressure of um, not having to give him a chance of one last possible chance. If that wasn't there, I think Juventus would, would have gone with a much more different shape, much more different formation because we know that Allegri is that pragmatic manager who likes to sort of play different shape um, across a, a handful of games. We saw that in his previous interview where that they played about five, six different formations in just one particular season. They went 3 4 one, two, three, four, Three, uh, three, five, two, four, three, three, four, two, three, one, and whatnot. So he's he's someone who does like to play around with formations, but I think a lot of it was um, was down to the pressure that the transfer market and the deadline brought about. Um, and if Juve had maybe Moise Kane in that game, they may just have won that. I mean, we're just speculating here, but could have been a much more different result if they had a proper striker in that game and not Weston McKenney purely playing as that uh, as that midfield player who was given the license to just run into the box a bit like Frank Lampard, maybe I know it's quite a usual comparison, but I mean, in the next game, we'll probably see a quite different approach to Malekki because that's pretty much what he does. Yeah, certainly some stuff to work on for Juventus and they've got, um, I believe they've got Napoli straight after the international break. So that's going to be a huge game for them. Um, but the sides that have started well, we're going to move to the Rome clubs actually. And first of all, Lazio, who were top of the table, um, nine goals in their first two games. I think, Francesco, we were quite excited to see what Sari could bring to Lazio. Um and it's been really impressive so far, hasn't it? How how far do you think Lazio can go this year in terms of getting back into the top four? Can they even push for the title like they did for a while a couple of years back? I had them in my top four before the season started. And these first two matches have have made me feel that, you know, the chance of that happening are, are quite likely. Um, I think... They are still improving as well. Um, and as I was saying earlier, the squad that they put together is is really suited to the way Sarri wants to play. I think for the first time since he was at Napoli, he probably feels like he has uh, total faith from the club in terms of um, decision-making and the way he wants the, the team, the, what he wants the team to do. So I, I expect Lazio to do well. And even though we've seen them come pretty you know do do for me overachieve under Simone Inzaghi um I think that this is the the, the most confident I felt about Lazio getting into the Champions League and with the with the league being so open this year with no one really clearly being ahead of everyone else I think they have got an outside chance of being in the square race yeah, very impressive start for them. Um, as I said, nine goals, a couple of goals conceded. We do expect that with Lazio. They're all, they've been exciting to watch under Inzaghi as well for a few years. Um, 
on the others, also uh, in Rome, we have uh, we have Roma, of course, uh, under Jose Mourinho. Again, um, you know, with, with Mourinho, he's often been thought of as a bit of a defensive manager, but they've scored seven in their first two games, two pretty convincing wins, particularly this weekend. Um, we saw a video of him eating pizza on the train. I saw another clip of him banging on the... Um, uh, hoardings going past the Roma fans already seems to have a bit of a connection with them Michael are you quite positive about how Roma are getting on yeah I'm definitely positive for how they're getting on at the moment I think if you take into account Mourinho's persona and AS Roma's amazing PR ability that you've probably got the formula for the sort of best manager promotion in world football really and you can see that with some of the stuff you just said and like when he had the huge parade upon his arrival as well in Rome but yeah I mean Mourinho is known for pretty fast starts even with in spells where his job's not gone as well I remember when he was at Manchester United they still started quite well Tottenham Hotspur they got results on the board quite quickly in the first few games as well so I think there's always a bit of a caveat with that and Mourinho's issues often don't come to the fore until a few months into his tenures. But from Roma's perspective, they can only beat what's in front of them at the moment and they did so convincingly. And Salantana, okay, there's a massive gulf in terms of, I think it's the biggest spenders versus the lowest spenders in the league. But Roma still managed 81% of possession and they eventually did break them down down just at the start of the second half and when they did the goals came flooding and then they ended up winning 4-0 so yeah good signs for Roma I think they've got a really nice first half of this season in terms of fixtures in terms of where they're at home and when they're away so if they can pick up good home form they can really build up some momentum for the second half of the season so it'd be really interesting to watch where what happens at the Stadio Olimpico. Yeah, and I'm just going to stay on Roma just just a little longer cause um, because a couple of players who've really started this season well, um, Tammy Abraham coming over from Chelsea. I think people were excited to see how he could do, and and he's he's really hit the ground running, and and Lorenzo Pellegrini as well, just in that role behind him. Are, the, are those a couple of players you think maybe really suit the way Roma are playing at the moment, and you expect them to go and have big seasons? Yeah, I think. If you look at the sort of templates of uh, the Mourinho strikers or the Mourinho attacking midfielders, they probably fit in quite a bit. Um, you saw um, uh, at Man United, he had Ibrahimovic and Spurs, he had Harry Kane. These are the sort of forwards who are very good at attacking spaces. You had Diego Costa at Chelsea, you had, um, I don't know, you had uh, Benzema and Ronaldo at Real Madrid. These are players who are really good at attacking spaces, running in behind, and Abraham is really, really good at it. We saw that um, in both the games, actually, in the Salernitana game and the Fiorentina game, where his link-up and his ability to run in behind was just uh, eye-catching in a way. And the Pellegrini stuff, again, um, he had those number 10. Uh, I mean, not at Tottenham because he just uh, never never really liked Dele Alli, did he? But he had Jesse Lingard at Man United, Frank Lampard at Chelsea, um, Wesley Snyder at Inter. Pellegrini is that sort of a attacking midfield player who can do the hard work as well because at Sassuolo he was not really an attacking midfielder. He used to play a lot more deeper even under Di Francesco at, at, at Roma. He was a much more deeper, bit deeper midfielder. So I think um, these two are going to be key and I think Jordan Wright is also going to be a master because he's that uh, really tireless box-to-box midfield player that um, the sort that Mourinho really loves. Um, Although I think he's going to face some issues in the wing back and the in the fullback area, because they've got those uh, fullbacks who aren't really great defensively, and I think we might just uh, see that get exposed in the long run. Apart from the midfield depth, um, as although even though they've got Cristante and Vettu, uh playing there regularly, um, but they couldn't get another midfielder in, which Mourinho was pretty much desperate for, um, and. He doesn't really seem to fancy Gonzalo Villa or Amadou Diawara. So I think it's probably just about one injury away. Uh, but apart from that, that whole spine uh, that we have right now, the, the, the starting 11 that in that team is pretty promising. 
yeah, really, really pro, uh, positive starts for Lazio and Roma so far. And, and of course, another team keeping right up with them. Um, Inter and Roma, of course, have exactly the same goal difference so far. Um, yeah, is Inter Milan. Um, they, they've scored seven, conceded one. Uh, we saw Joaquin Correa making an instant impact, scoring a couple of goals against Hellas Verona. Um, obviously, there were there were some concerns with Inter, given the players they've sold, but they've started really well. Um what are the main positives you think they can take, Francesco? And and is the main concern maybe Samir Handanovic, who who made an error against Verona? There were question marks about is he coming towards the end of his career last season? I, I don't know. Is he carrying on a season too long, or do you still trust him to to get through this year and and still perform at a high level? The big positive, I think, is that even though they've had to sell two of their best players and they also lost Ericsson. They don't seem to be missing them at all. We didn't really speak about them when we when we were talking about the transfer market, but I think considering the parameters of Inter's market in the sense that they were told they needed to bring in 100 million, 100 million euros from player sales and um, and they would they knew they were going to be losing such uh, big players... I've actually, I actually think they did a really good job uh, putting together the squad that they've done for Simon Inzaghi. And the other real positive is that the players seem to have really taken to him as a manager. They seem to, they, they are play, whilst they play in a similar formation, they're playing in a slightly different way than they did under Conte. I think they play further at the pitch and there's more pos- quicker possession. And with Zeko as, uh, as their centre forward, it kind of, ch- uh, he's more of a playmaking striker, I think, and it, it changes the way they play. Um, in terms of in, of um, Handanovic, I I think he is harshly criticised um, too often. Um, I think he is one of the best goalkeepers in the league with his feet. And Inter have got a lot of joy. Certainly last season, they got a lot of joy from playing out from the back with him, uh, you know, playing an active role in that. And I think, yes, he made a mistake this weekend. But if you play that way, over the course of the season, the chances of it happening once or twice are pretty high. And um, whilst he does misplace the pass, I also think that in that moment, uh, you know, players maybe aren't making the right angles for him. And it's kind of, it's more of a collective mistake, I'd say, than just a goalkeeper mistake. And I think it would be wrong to criticise him too much. I, I think he probably isn't as good a goalkeeper as he was two or three seasons ago, but I certainly think that he is still a good, solid player. And last season, whilst he was criticised, I think he had a, a good season. And I'm not overly worried about him playing in goal for Inter this year. Can I, can I just ask, Francesco, were you a former goalkeeper in it uh, when you were playing? Because you, you stick up for Szczesny, you stick up for Handanovic. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying there's definitely a bit of the sort of goalkeeper's union yeah, in it. Just, am I, am I, I feel like... Well, um, you know, that I guess I don't need to tell you this, Sam, but their their mistakes get magnified because they often lead to goals. But um, yeah, I, uh, you, you know, you need to judge a goalkeeper like all players over the course of a season. And if Handanovic, last season, he probably made two or three actual errors. And, you know, people claim that he doesn't dive or he doesn't reach enough goals, but he also made some amazing saves. I mean, I'm sure that whilst he could have been better in some games, there were games where his contribution actively won in their matches. So over the course of the season, I think he is still, uh, you know, a, a very good goalkeeper. And I'd say the same about Chesney. And judging them on on what happened to Chesney against Udinese and what happened against Verona this weekend for, for Handanovic is, in my opinion, wrong. I think the one thing that I do maybe think supports Handanovic's case here as well is that it was an error with his feet I think normally if we're looking at a goalkeeper making mistakes at a later stage in their career it is often to do with them not being able to get down quick enough or not being agile enough or quick enough out into a one-on-one situation and I think that may help Handanovic's case a bit more in terms of you know him playing with Inzaghi but yeah I guess time will tell which kind of fits in nicely with the question as well. And yeah, just just adding to what Michael said there, that it was an hour with his feet. And the fact that Handanovic has to do so much with his feet, Inter is so reliant on him being kind of the first playmaker and playing with those three centre-backs that 
you know, if he does make an error once every so often, it's 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 also because he is uh, having to be involved in the in uh, you know the build the build up so much with his feet. So, I think considering that he's doing it all of the time, one error kind of every you know twenty or so games is not the end of the world. And you know they still won. So, yeah, exactly. Inter still got the win and and six points from their first two games. So so not much to be complained about at all so far. Another side that's that started perfectly so far is Milan, uh, who've won both their games, uh, got a 1-0 win against Sampdoria and then 4-1 against Cagliari. Um, again, a new signing who really impressed this weekend was Olivier Giroud, cause. Um, what did you make of his performance? And and when Ibrahimovic is fit, who starts out there too? Or, or is there even a possibility that maybe Stefano Pioli might tinker his system slightly? We know he loves a 4-2-3-1. Any way he tinkers it to get both of them into that side? I think when Paoli um, came in, um, when he had that, uh, when Ibrahimovic played his first game against Sampdoria, I think it was, it was a 4-4-2 with Leao and um, um, Ibrahimovic playing together. And they actually did pretty well. But I mean, Giroud and Ibrahimovic playing together is not going to look too pretty. It's going to be a lot more clunky in a way. Um, especially when you look at the Milan wingers. Um, and I know Junior Messias has come in, but even otherwise, it's going to look pretty one-dimensional in a way. And uh, 4-4-2 is not gonna, is, has not got a great name these days anyway, especially with those two big strikers up front. Um, but I think, I think Giroud is probably going to be on the bench uh, and get used to it once again, because we know he's been used to it. For the France national team, uh, for Chelsea, and after one point, he got used to it at Arsenal. But I know it's pretty unfair, but I think that's probably why they brought in Giroud because he's got quite a clean fitness record over the years, despite his age. But we've seen Ibrahimovic just sort of degrading in a physical sense. He's now getting um, too many injuries. I mean, last season he got about two or three injuries in just half a season. Didn't play too much, and it really did affect Milan quite a bit. Um, I think Giroud is probably the way to go um, when uh, Zlatan's not playing, and we've seen Rebic not really pull up any pull up too many trees, um, especially towards the end of last season and towards the middle part. And Leao, uh, I'm not really sure what Leao does, um, especially on a consistent basis because he's never really caught too much of fire. Yeah, I think Giroud is probably going to get uh, game time when Ibrahimovic injured. Um, that just makes a lot of sense, um, especially because Giroud's used to it um, in a lot in, in in a lot of places. And whenever he's come off the bench uh, for his previous clubs and for for his country, he's been really really effective. Uh, so I don't think he's going to mind that too much. Yeah, I've always felt Giroud's been perhaps a little bit underrated. He always seems to be that sort of backup option for for whatever club he goes to. But when he does get his chance, he quite often takes it. Um, one other player I wanted to focus on, who, who again didn't get that much game time last season, but but has started this season strongly, is Sandro Tonali. And and Michael, um, we saw he got his he got his first goal for Milan um, on the weekend, and it was almost a carbon copy of Andrea Pirlo's first goal for Milan. I know that was sort of going round on Twitter the other day. Um, do you see sort of similarities between the two? And and even if you don't, uh, you know, do you think that Tonali can really kick on this year um, after a bit of a sort of stuttering first campaign with Milan last year? Yeah, I think there's there's definitely character similarities in terms of the background, both coming through Brescia, both playing for AC Milan. I think stylistically as well, they've both got a wonderful passing range. Although I would say that, especially when he was younger, Pirlo was probably a bit more of a goal threat than Tonali was, even though Tonali has scored this wonderful goal. But yeah, I think this is a huge season for Tonali for a few reasons, really. I think firstly, he's just his chance has been made permanent. So, you know, there is pressure on him to perform in that sense after a rather underwhelming first season. And I think also, I think, one of the big stories in midfield in Italian midfielders since Tonali's breakthrough at Brescia in the 1920 season has been Locatelli, who was outstanding last season and was outstanding for Sassuolo and then was outstanding during the Euros and has gone on to sign for Juventus. And of course, Locatelli was 
uh, AC Milan youth product. He came through scoring the winner against Juventus only, I think, four or five years ago when he was only 17 or 18. And I think that shines a light even more on Tenali. And I think there could be a bit of a, even though there is a bit of an age gap between the two, I do think there could be a bit of a rivalry between them this season as to who really sort of makes a league their own in terms of who's that dominant midfielder. And we talk about these big players leaving Serie A and it could be one of those two that really sort of stamps a name on the league as one of its future stars and they could do so this season. And I really hope that Tonali does that. And yeah, I think part of it is because of that nostalgic, um, the nostalgic similarities that he has with Andrea Pirlo. Yeah, well, we of course with Frank Kessier out, he's he's had his opportunity and he's certainly taken it so far. Um, we're going to move on to another side, the, the final side of a perfect record so far, and that's Napoli. Now, Francesco, I know you're quite high on Napoli in terms of they've kept all their best players from last season. They they haven't made too many signings actually this summer, but it just seems to be a side that, that is quite settled now because of that. They haven't really pulled up any trees in their first couple of games, but perfect start in terms of results. What have you made of them under Spalletti? I think you're right when you say that they haven't really pulled up any trees, but they've, they've got it done. And that is something that they weren't really doing last season. Um, they, they are a side that can play really good football. I think Spalletti suits them perfectly. And the fact that they haven't signed any players doesn't really worry me that much because I think they had such a such a strong squad last season. Um, I think not getting into the Champions League, they they definitely underperformed. And for me, they they are in the race for the title. Um, earlier on in the transfer market, it looked like they were going to lose Fabian Ruiz. It looked like they they might even lose Insigne. Both of those players have stayed, and. They have they have really a really strong starting eleven, but they also have a lot of options coming off the bench. So I see Napoli as uh, as contenders, and um, the fact that they're getting it done even when they're not playing very well and missing some important players um, like Aussie men uh, is is a good sign, I think. Yeah, I just wanted to echo what you said. Really, I think that. I think Spalletti's my favourite managerial appointment this summer. I think if there's a manager that's come in to fit a team and that probably just needed freeing up a bit after the spells of Gattuso and Ancelotti before it is Spalletti arriving at Napoli. And we look at Asimian, who was suspended for the last game. He'll be making his way back. And, you know, he. I think he could, another one with, I guess it's kind of been a theme of this episode a little bit, hasn't it? Looking for these breakout stars this season. You know, given the money he arrived for in 2020, I think he's certainly another contender to that. And I think they could really, under the radar a little bit for the first few weeks, because people are talking about Inter and Juve struggles, whilst also maybe looking at Lazio. I think Napoli could slowly but surely just put themselves right in the title mix. Yeah, quite possibly. Of course, just missed out in the top four last year, but but they've started this season well. Um, the last few years, we've sort of had this big seven in, in, and they've sort of cut away from the rest of the league. Um, five of those have won both their opening games. Juventus haven't. And, and the only other side that haven't got maximum points is Atalanta. Now, uh, of course, we've seen um, Atalanta do this before where they tend to start seasons a bit slowly. Their opening game against Torino, they weren't particularly convincing until they got a late winner. Um, and then this weekend, they were held to a nil-nil draw. Um, had sort of 20-odd shots, but only three on target. You, you sort of mentioned them as perhaps title contenders towards the start of the episode. Do you, do you still feel that way? Or what are they missing so far uh, in the opening couple of weeks of the season? Yeah, I think... It's again, as you said, um, a bit like what Napoli were trying to do last season, where in every single game that they that they drew or, or the games that they lost, they had so many shots on target, but they just couldn't score goals, and it led to them dropping points. But they sort of slowly um, recovered, and of course, they couldn't really qualify for the Champions League. But um, this season is much more open, and I think Atalanta, as you as you just pointed out, that they always start their season slow and then just go on these runs where they just can't lose games. Even if they drop points, they just draw those games and just uh, make sure that they, those are closely fought contests anyway. But I think they've got that um, 
depth in their squad now, which they probably didn't have earlier, and they've got a lot more um, options uh, all across the field that they didn't really have before. Uh, and and the and the signings that they've made this summer have made them um, not just um, really good in terms of the quality that they have in the squad, but also in terms of um, their whole um, 30 men or 25 odd players in general. Um, all of them are technical players. You look at Matteo Luato, who's who, who who is a technical defender? I know Davide Zapacosta wasn't really great at Chelsea, and he had those spells at um, Genoa where he was decent at best. But he's someone who who used to be a technical outlet, and and I really like the signing of Fionn Coop Miners, who is could well be one of those unheralded stars um, who really breaks out um, in the top five leagues of Europe, and then later moves on. They've got They've still got Martin Du and Remo Freuler. Pastelic is still there. So they've got a much, much, much better midfield now uh, than they used to. I think Demiral is probably at the same stage as Romero was uh, when he initially came to uh, Atlanta from Juventus, where, where we all knew that he is a good player. I mean, he, they used to be very, very good players before they came to Atlanta, but they, they just hadn't proved themselves at the right level on a consistent basis. So I think. There's a lot. There's there's a lot of good things in that in that in that team, which which will catch fire as soon as the season goes on. And I think if not if not title race, I, I still uh, expect them to finish at least third because that that's what they're pretty good at anyway. Yeah, they finished third the last three seasons, and in in my preview for the website, I predicted third again. So maybe yeah. maybe they'll do that. Um, I, I, I want to finish up the episode with a couple of sort of sections. Um, I, I think I asked this Francesco one or two weeks ago, but but I'll ask you, Michael. Um, is there going to be a surprise package this season, do you think? I know the last couple of seasons we've seen maybe Sassuolo and Verona do a bit better. Um, you know, we're two weeks in, but we've seen the likes of Udinese and Bologna start quite well. You know, is there a side that you think could do a bit better than most anticipate? Yeah, I think I think Bologna's a really good shout. I also would like to, although they've not actually made a good start, I do think one team that might really start to pick up a Torino under Juric, and they Juric was the one who led Verona to these, you know, seasons where they really overperformed. And I do think he will start to get the results at Torino. I mean, I watched the first game against Atalanta and I genuinely thought that they were the better team for most of that game and albeit they equalised through a very fortunate deflected goal they I thought they did well and towards the end of the window I thought they did some really good business as well we maybe just didn't give them enough credit earlier when they brought in the likes of Dennis Pratt from Leicester uh, Breckelow from uh, Wolfsburg and you know throw into the mix that they managed to keep hold of Bellotti which for large parts of the window really seemed in doubt, I think that they can really push on and, you know, not have the kind of season they had last time around where they were fighting relegation. And I think they could really be a contender for the best of the rest, as you may like to put it, like maybe nine, four, eight. I think there's a few good teams, but I think there's also quite a few teams who probably aren't going into that into this season as strong as they were who were in that part of the table, like Verona, like Sassuolo, so I think there is a space up for grabs, and I think Torino may take it. Yeah, of course. Just one point, four uh, points for them. They've had a couple of narrow defeats, haven't they, Torino? But as you say, there's been some positive signs. Uh, you know, they've had a couple of really tough seasons on the bounce, so perhaps they can pick up this year. Um, and I'll come to you, Francesco, for my last question, which is, again, we're really early in the season, so this might be being harsh on some teams, but are there any teams that you, that you're quite worried for already that you think I, I don't give them much hope I mean I think last season I think everyone went Crotone actually and it turned out that they weren't that great although I thought Crotone were one of the better rubbish sides that we've had in recent years I'll give them that down to a faint praise um, is, is there a side that you're a, a bit concerned for already I think I'll, I'll give you one of the teams that has come up and one that was already in um, because it would be easy to go for all the teams that come up, I think. But I think Venezia, not sure about them at all. Um, and based on their open two games, 
I think there's a strong chance that they're going to go down again. And I'm also, I'm worried for Verona. I think that with Di Francesco in charge, even though they've been okay in, their, in spells during their first two games, you can see similarities with what happened at Cagliari last season. And yeah, uh, I think they are already missing Georgia lost a lot. They've just lost their best player, Zakangi. So I am a bit worried about them. Yeah, of course, it's always a little bit tricky, as we say, so early as well, because the, the pictures are sort of seeded. So a lot of the weaker sides are playing the stronger sides. Of course, I'll, I'll come to you as well for this one. Are, are there any sides that, that you're a bit worried about so far? I'll probably say Verona themselves, um, because they lost the manager who sort of had this specific identity through which this team played and, and, and actually surprised quite a few when they first came in, because they were really this bogey team, which which sort of um, essentially bothered pretty much every big team in the division. They always fell into big points of uh, the big seven. Um, uh, I mean, they had this identity, which people compared a lot to uh, Gasparini, Gasparini's Atalanta. But I mean, they are just, I mean, in the first two games that I've watched of them, they looked like they were pretty confused in a way. Um, which is quite quantity, quantity to um, what we had last season or the last two seasons under Urich, where you always knew what to expect of them. But now they seem like this team are just looking around for a direction as to what to do. I mean, we know the manager there hasn't really had a great time with the last two seasons. And we all want him to uh, be back to his best. But in the first two games, we saw him. In the first game, we saw him playing a false nine. In the second game, we saw him playing a proper striker, um, which in itself shows how uh, sort of confused they are in terms of the identity. Yeah, I think I'm pretty worried for them, and they are pretty much where I sort of expect them to finish, pretty much around that. Yeah, well, we'll have to see. Um, of course, we now have we now have the international break, and we'll see how Italy get on with that in their first game since their Euro twenty twenty slash twenty one victory. Um, and then I hope you guys will join me again uh, to round up the next round of Serie A games, and it really starts getting tasty. Uh, then we've got Milan, Lazio, and and uh, Juventus, Napoli coming up. So some really good fixtures then. Thanks for joining me, guys. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you again soon. Bye-bye.